access to fresh, nutrient-dense foods can be tough for underserved populations in rural communities. So, how do rural hospitals engage the community and support efforts to combat food insecurity? With local partnerships, community focus, and direct impact. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm J.J. Hodshire. And this is Rural Health Rising. Welcome to Episode 99 of Rural Health Rising. I'm J.J. Hodshire, President and Chief Executive Officer of Hillsdale Hospital. And I'm Rachel Lott, Chief Communications Officer. Rachel, our guests today have been working closely together to help combat food insecurity in our community, to get fresh, nutrient-dense foods to those who may not otherwise receive or have access to them. That's right. We are talking with people who are engaged in our community in different ways, but directly impacting those in need. Our guests today are return guests, Denise Levenger, who has been with us on Facebook Live and other events. Very excited. And has been on the podcast. And has been on the podcast. Um, Registered dietitian here at Hillsdale Hospital, a long term member of this hospital. We'll get to know a little bit more about her in just a minute. Uh, Ezra and Mary Bertakis, and they are owners of Chef's Way Farm, which is, we're going to learn about. I'm excited. We're going to learn about this organic farm. We're going to learn about all the hard work that you do to support our community. So I want to welcome you for the very first time to Rural Health Rising. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you for having us, JJ. It's a pleasure to be here. Great to have you. So to start, Denise, as a return guest, why Mm -hmm. don't you just give our listeners a little bit bit of a reminder about who you are, your background, and your work here at the hospital. Okay. So I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist, and I'm also a certified diabetes educator. I've been with Hillsdale Hospital in some manner for 28 years now, um, working both with inpatients, and currently I'm working with our outpatient population, teaching diabetes education programs, and we just launched a wellness program at the hospital that I've been involved with, working with individuals to improve their health, prevent disease, treat disease that they may have or chronic conditions. You know, I want to focus a little bit on Denise's background because, Mm -hmm. Denise, uh, when we worked together, you actually launched the Healthy Hospital Initiative. Yes. And you partnered with the Michigan Hospital Association, MHA, Mm -hmm. uh, and we did the unthinkable. You mm-hmm. did the unthinkable. You took out all of the sweet rolls, the donuts, the sugared pops. Remember all the that? trans fats. Yes. And your mm-hmm. car was only keyed a dozen times. Your mm-hmm. tires were flat. Mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> you, you made a commitment. Yes, and the commitment was healthy living mm-hmm. for those who are engaged in providing health care to our community. Correct. And what, what was able to happen from there was pretty remarkable. Um, an awareness you know, across the spectrum at this hospital from our staff who understood that the conversation needed to start about their health and wellness. From there, you launched several programs for wellness, yoga, all -hmm. those classes. And not only talking about physical, but also we talked about financial securities and making sure that you have financial wellness. I want to commend you for the work that you've done for our staff and you impacted lives Uh, just having, you know, the step groups and having groups in that wanted to really go through weight management Mm -hmm. that was sensible, Mm -hmm. not losing 50 pounds in a month, correct, but Uh sensible and rewarding them for that. So Mm -hmm. thank you, Denise, for your contribution uh, to Hillsdale Hospital. We appreciate it. So Ezra and Mary, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourselves, your background and your farm? Well, uh, I was a chef for many, many years prior to uh, coming out back to Hillsdale around the 2011-12 time frame, uh, just running fine dining restaurants from South Florida and Detroit and just kind of uh, finding my way through that industry and 
looking uh, and, and then had an opportunity uh, or, you know, as um, I was looking for a higher quality food within my restaurants, um, it kind of came to me that there was a need for that kind of uh, a niche out there that was available that I could possibly fill having a family background uh, in a restaurant, you know, or in a farm. Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of following. Um, so I decided to go to the, uh, the MSU Organic Ag Program to kind of back up oh. my knowledge, uh, which was a special farmer training program that they had there in the organic industry. Mm. And that would kind of uh, sure up my knowledge on the, uh, the organic greenhouse production for vegetables. And that just kind of led me further and further down that road. More so as I was in the restaurant industry, I wanted to watch my children grow up. So that's not what happens usually in the restaurant industry. So right. yeah. having that opportunity now on the family farm is just the greatest thing that's could have ever happened. So you say fine dining and uh, nice restaurants. Uh, we're not talking Long John Silver's. We're, <laughs> we're talking about really nice, you know, I'm assuming, you know, four or five star restaurants. And so help me understand a little bit, and before Mary gives a little bit about her background, help me understand a little bit about, you're in California, you said, or Florida? Uh, uh, Florida, Florida. Yeah. Um, You don't have access, or they didn't have access to, or you weren't thinking about it at the time, or talk to us about some of that industry challenge. So that came more when I came back to Michigan. Down in Florida, I had the privilege of working for Iron Chef Morimoto uh, oh. on this Food Network, doing learning sushi through the master himself, so, and that was such a wonderful experience along he with the He asked hotels. me too, but I was busy. So, <laughs> I believe you know, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. such a wonderful guy to hang out with. Yes, yeah, I've heard that, you know. Well, so, that's that's incredible. So you actually trained with or under? Under. Under. Yep. Wow. And that's uh, where you gained a lot of your skills. And obviously, yes. And so, and they're all about fresh, right, ingredient. And that's where you learned maybe to appreciate it more? It was, that was learning the purest form of the ingredient and understand, you know, the culture yeah. itself uh, in Japan is just really all about that just caring about what you're cooking and understanding your ingredients to a full. Um, so that really was a base uh, for me. And then going on in my uh, culinary career, I, we moved back to Michigan. Yeah. And that's where I got into a lot of, you know, fine dining in the Detroit area and the Birmingham area. And, yeah. and that's, I mean, really where I was more appreciating what I couldn't find as a chef. And sure. then, you know, really looking for having farmers come in. And, but that was inconsistent. So I looked for that, you know, had the opportunity to fill that void of consistency mm -hmm. that was mm -hmm. very inconsistent within the culinary industry. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm so. excited to learn uh, more, and we're going to have some questions here in the podcast in just a minute. But let's uh, turn our focus to Mary. Uh, this is your wife of how many years? Have oh, you great been question. <laughs> Ten years. Ten. Ten. Good job. Ten. Good job. <laughs> Ten All right. years. Excellent. Yeah. Mary, welcome. And can you share us a little bit uh, with our listeners about your background, where you come from, and why you got involved in the farm? Okay. So, um, well, Ezzy and I met in high school. We became friends from Gross Point. Um, oh, nice. I always wanted to live in the countryside. It just was not anything in the cards, though, for me. But I always um, loved the outdoors and nature. But being from Gross Point, it's a boating town. It's a old money kind of town. Oh, yeah. But um, I just didn't know how we were going to get ever out to the country. But when we got married, he, uh, again, kept seeing this need. Um, and it was really a calling to come out here. It was around the time that grandma had passed away. Mm -hmm. Grandpa was now on this kind of, um, I don't want to say dilapidated farm ground, but farm ground that has not been touched for decades. And right. it was one of those things where we felt called to come out here. Um, for myself, it was a huge leap of faith because my background is senior care. I went to Western Michigan. I got a degree in gerontology oh, and wow. recreation. And oh, my. back in 2000, my papers were all about what can prevent Alzheimer's. And in my theories, it was social um, inclusion and diet. Yeah. 
And um, I've been... It's remarkable. Yeah. So the, the years before I became a farmer, I have many years of working for assisted livings and running the Alzheimer's units for Sunrise Senior Living, um, getting my way to the department head for wow. the Alzheimer's unit. Wow. So that really is my background in hospice care. Um that's amazing. Yeah, well, that's why I'm definitely not qualified to be a farmer, and that's why it's much more <laughs> of a calling, because God yes. qualifies the called. And yeah. so to come out here was very scary for me. Um, I yeah. know locked units, okay? That's what I know, and I know um, med passing, and I know, you know, yeah. uh, profiles of backgrounds and all the steps that you need to do for activities of daily living, all that stuff. Sure. It was not how do you grow lettuce on a massive scale yeah. in January, so there was a huge learning curve to come mm -hmm. out here and a huge amount of faith that had to back it to know mm -hmm. that it was the mm -hmm. right thing. So, And I look forward to really learning a little bit more about how you integrated that lifestyle into what you're doing now. And we're going to ask a question here in just a few minutes. But one of the questions that I ask each of our participants and guests are, you know, what is your why? Okay. And Denise, I'm going to start with you, but I'd like to ask all three of you, um, what is your why? What motivates you? What gets you up out of bed in the morning to do the things that you do? And we've, again, it's a personal reflection of what it is that you do and what motivates you to do it. So Denise, let's start with you. Well, I got into this profession from family. My family, all my grandparents had diabetes, end up, ended up with very difficult complications. Um, that's why I went into nutrition. That's why I got further certified in diabetes education. And, and my why at this point in my life is truly, there's so much research going on right now about what nutrition can do to prevent disease. Mm -hmm. And there's gut bacteria. There's so many different research avenues that I hopefully can talk about in a little bit because fruits and vegetables are pretty huge in those. Um, just to let people know that you don't have to have diabetes. You do not have to go the way genetically that your families may have yeah. because we know so much more about nutrition. And I just really, just really enjoy helping people go on that journey especially the ones that are really interested yeah. in that and then teaching them that it's not hard to change the way that they eat. It's not difficult to make small gradual changes to mm -hmm. include fruits and vegetables and other healthy things yeah. in their diet. Well, that passion certainly I don't know. shows mm -hmm. through. It does. Yeah. We're very grateful. So Ezra, what is your why? What, what, what gets you up in the morning? Why do you do what you do? Oh my. Uh, well, mine is trying to bring a more consistent, uh, high quality food to somewhere it's not readily available being mm -hmm. Michigan we mm -hmm. what we're trying to accomplish from what the, the research and studies and the, you know other people that I've talked to is you know our what we're doing with organic you know food is not not normal thing in Michigan so to bring that here and then be able to produce it on a higher scale you know a more consistent high quality scale um, you know that's really what you know a, a big thing mm -hmm. for me as, mm -hmm. as a chef that yeah. was what I couldn't find I couldn't connect that and then not only couldn't I connect that I couldn't connect that with organic food especially right like I could get produce a little bit everywhere but to have a high quality organic you know something that's really healthy for the body that's mm -hmm. you know just all flavor mm -hmm. lasts much longer I mean it, it goes so deep because you know I, I could talk about this all day with the, the problems of the food chain and the way it even coming in from California how difficult it is to get something fresh and consistent yeah. and yeah. in my world that was not an option to right. not have consistent right. fresh so and then to be able to do that um, while bringing my family closer and you know as I said before being a chef that was not going to bring me closer to a family that no. was 
you work from 10 a.m. to midnight seven days a week to be, yeah. especially in the fine dining industry. So that was a, a big, you know, why right there was Excellent. being able to bring my family back closer to me. What a wonderful reason. And Mary, so talk to us about your why. What what gets you up out of bed in the morning to do the things that you do? In one word, it would be service. I'm a huge believer in service work. Um when it was easier to see that when I worked in assisted living as a mm-hmm. farmer, I don't necessarily see the people who end up eating our food because, yeah. you know, they go to different grocery stores or if it's the farmer's market. Um, but when we do hear that positive feedback, that just feels great to yeah. know that what we're providing is a very healthy um, product for people. But mm-hmm. really, it's the service work that we get to do as our business for the community. Mm-hmm. Um, when you can be of service to others, it, it, you're going to have a good day. The yeah. happiest people I ever knew were always helping others. Yeah. So that's what gets me out is I have a service to my children yeah. and I have a service to my family and community. Well, you certainly both of you have a remarkable passion and a remarkable faith. I've had a chance to talk to you about that as well. And I think that speaks volumes, you know, to the service aspect of it is because it's more than just about you. To come to rule America and to want to serve the community. It's not a get-rich scheme, as you know. In fact, it's just the opposite of that. It's a, it's a lot of sacrifice, a lot of poverty, and you're doing some remarkable things. So thank you for sharing your why with us and for living your why every day in our community. We appreciate it. Speaking of why, all right, Denise, I, I approached you several years ago um, about, many years ago, about the need for a diabetic education, diabetes education class. And we worked in consort with uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan with a grant, received uh, a grant for that. And then we brought someone else on that was a registered nurse. And in, in tandem, we, we worked together to try to build the program. Uh, then, you know, you and I started to realize one thing is that the food pantries in our community we're not handing out the best of products. A very poor rural community, they count, our community counts on food banks every week to survive. And we often find the same amount of individuals going to food pantry to food pantry to live. And what we had discovered is high sugars, sugared cereals, processed foods, flowers, all those things. And we were realizing the correlation between this population of poor individuals uh, with health, very bad health outcomes. So Denise, I tasked her and she has ran with it and done a remarkable job, was how do we integrate wellness into our food banks and food pantries? And it's led to you two, but I want you to tell us the journey. Would you, Denise, about how this all started? So I I worked at one of our local food pantries for several years. I am no longer able to do that, but I I talked to the people that were there. Mm -hmm. A lot of them were patients of mine, Mm -hmm. and they would question me, well, what can I make of this? And I think a lot of people at the food pantry I worked at do that. They, They take those consumers right through and say, this is how you could put a happy meal together. And JJ came to me and we somehow got on that discussion yeah. about what can we do. So we started off with Market House getting yeah. fresh fruit during the winter. So the Market House has helped us do that. And then we started thinking about locally grown produce. Mm-hmm. What a great idea to have our local farmers give produce to our food pantries. And Ezra was the first person that I called 
because I get my produce from him at the farmer's market every single weekend. Mm -hmm. And he did not hesitate. Mm -hmm. He said, we can do that. Let me work on a project. I think you said, I'll talk to Mary and we'll work on something. And they literally every week last summer delivered greens and carrots, whatever was growing. That's what we want to teach our people is to eat what's in season. Mm -hmm. And they provided that to three, four food pantries Mm -hmm. every single week last summer. And because they have the ability to do that during the winter, they're doing it for us right now. And the food pantries are thrilled. I've talked to all three of them. They are. And they are thrilled. The families. (laughs) The family. I I was approached by a family in Walmart not Uh too long ago who were in tears because they had heard from someone that the hospital had sponsored and worked with mm-hmm. these folks, they called them, you know, from that one company. <laughs> uh, so that's you guys. And they were in tears about yeah. how this has changed because access to fruits and vegetables are costly. When you can buy, you know, a mm-hmm. uh, processed banquet dinner, exactly. you know, for 99 cents, to walk over to fresh fruit and vegetables mm-hmm. is costly. And when people are literally trading that for medications or bills, Absolutely. it becomes the, the other point that I think I want to raise with uh-huh. that statement is, you know, they're not doing, they're doing this at cost. In other words, they're contributing right. back to us. Yes. And I think that's an important notion as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Right? It's not is, like they came to us and said, we have a business proposal. This is a, a shared. This is a donation. <laughs> this is a, yes. A they are making a contribution. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. And so it's why we would say support mm-hmm. your, your local farmers you know, like Chef's Way, because it's critical. They're giving back to the Mm -hmm. community each and every day. And the other thing that it has brought is this produce into people's lives. Most patients I work with have never had raw spinach, have never had cherry or grape tomatoes or Mm -hmm. carrots that are fresh. Most of my clients do tell me they don't like vegetables. And when I dig a little further, it's because they've never had them and they've Mm -hmm. never had them taste like this. So Mm -hmm. I think that's also opening their eyes a little bit so that they will continue to eat those Mm -hmm. vegetables Mm -hmm. and help prevent disease. Well, and I think for food pantries, the hardest thing to get is fruits and vegetables because anytime someone does a, a food drive in their church or their <laughs> school or their workplace, it's the requirement is always non-perishable items, right? Mm-hmm. Cans and, and boxes. that is not what you guys are providing. You guys are providing perishable items right. um, that, you know, otherwise I don't know of many people and I myself have never thought of if I'm going to donate to the food pantry, I should go get some fresh produce to take yep. over there. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's just not the way that people think about how they support their local food pantries. Um, so my question to you, Denise, as well, from your experience, and you've already touched on it a little bit, but why is a project like this so important in a community like Hillsdale? Well, a rural community like Hillsdale has a very high incidence of diabetes, mm-hmm. obesity, um, heart disease, And there is evidence-based medicine that show us that fruits and vegetables have antioxidants, phytochemicals, nutrients that actually are anti-inflammatory. Bring our inflammatory markers down and inflammation in our bodies is what causes disease. Mm -hmm. Alzheimer's, you mentioned, mental health. The other research that's really going on is with our gut bacteria, and we need to keep that healthy because that affects inflammation and so many parts of our body, it's Mm -hmm. too long to get into. Mm -hmm. But eating fruits and vegetables provides the fiber and the nutrients that this good bacteria need. Having an organic product, and I know not all people can afford organic in a grocery store. And Mm -hmm. from what I understand, sometimes we're not sure how organic the grocery stores are. I'm not sure. Yeah. 
but those pesticides aren't there, which can cause inflammation and cause problems in the gut bacteria as well. So I think our community being able to have this product available to them is is huge for health, and it can make some difference in some of the health of our our mm-hmm. patrons. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and I think the term nutrient dense really applies here because again with the non-perishable foods they're typically not as nutrient dense as the fresh foods right Denise that that's correct. your area of expertise correct yeah so you know Ezra Mary let me ask you a question specifically we'll start with Ezra um so how does the partnership look on your end i mean why would you want to get involved at cost of providing this to our food banks and community. I mean, what is what is behind that uh, in your mind? It's a it's an opportunity to bring health locally and fill that gap. As you were saying, you know, going to these food banks, they're not seeing the fresh produce, and the stuff that they do get is you know usually an iceberg that's already brown, which is mostly water anyways. Mm-hmm. So it's not really giving you any kind of a nutrient. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, we're able to bring a product to them that is uh, harvested fresh either that day or the night before. So mm-hmm. their shelf life is like two to three weeks, and it's at its max nutrient value. Right. It's not go... picked early, so it can ripen while it drives across the country like That's you were correct. saying, like and products from California yep. might. And there's some studies that, you know, actually uh, gauge the nutrient value from the moment it's picked and, you know, between oh. hours to days and oh, wow. the actual value of that, you know, nutrient slowly drops over time. Wow. So from picking is, you know, obviously your highest, you know, when that, but within an hour, certain products start to break down very slowly, you know, wow. I mean, quickly, excuse me. So, yeah. but, so Mary, do you feel like a farmer? <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. You know, you? I, I guess so. I think that um, when I moved here, like, I knew we were going to be here. I just had confidence in it. So I was like, well, I better figure out who all these people are. And one of my first acts of service was to work at the same um, food pantry as as Denise. It's a a food pantry connected with my church. Okay. And um, same. Like you see the the lettuce that's coming in and you're horrified, right? You're just like, this is not proper. And um, I still work at that food pantry and I love it. And... um, the people who go to those food pantries are a lot of people who are retired widows, maybe, who mm-hmm. just want to be careful. And they love getting it. They think it's kind of old-fashioned spinach now because yeah. of how it used to be. And yeah. so I've, I've talked with them, and they just they love it. Um, yeah. So to be able to um, provide that for your community, it's it's yeah. like, um, and, and to do this cost share program with the hospital, you guys are allowing us to be that much more helpful. Mm-hmm. It's it's healthy for our business. It's healthy for the community. It's healthy for the hospital. If I could make my business a 501c3 and only do yeah. um, food pantries, I've thought about that it. I'm like, how could we do that? How, you know, how could, but that's just not the nature of where we are. But yeah. we're essentially kind of doing this with you, you sure are. with you all. And it's. It's just Good ministry. a win for everybody. It what it made me think of when you were talking about the what you did see coming in and the difference between what food pantries are typically getting with produce versus what you're giving, it's a difference between giving people access to the leftovers and giving them the first fruits of your labor. And the fact that you guys are doing that is mm-hmm. really, really a powerful thing to think about because a lot of folks who are utilizing a food pantry 
feel like they're left over by by society, left over, forgotten, you know, not being given the same level of, you know, attention or care that other people might receive, not feeling that they're as valuable of a human being as other people are. And you really get to show them that with the type of stuff that you're providing. It's highly insulting Mm -hmm. to give somebody moldy food. Like, Mm -hmm. how could people do that? And so we're just, I mean, I love that our food is going to be two weeks for them in their fridge. Mm -hmm. It it will last a long Mm -hmm. time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's remarkable is we grew up extremely poor and I was the benefactor uh, at many times uh, of food and uh, how many beets can a young kid eat as a kid, you know? (laughs) And because we think about we're going to clean our closet, right? We're going to give the Hodgshire family a can of beans and beets and maybe some sugared cereal. But it is, it's to your point, you know, (laughs) To say you're going to get leftovers or seconds is so demeaning and demoralizing. It really is. So so to give them fresh, mm-hmm. which is access that many people don't have, I think is extremely remarkable. So my question then, Ezra, is organic, organic, organic? Is it all the same? Like if I go to a chain store today, is the organic that says on that little thing right there as I walk into the fruit section says organic? Is it the same as what you're doing in your fields, or can you help our listeners understand better? Um, I would like to say to try to connect and look for the farms that are localized within your grocery store, because uh, mm-hmm. that's going to bring the freshest, highest quality to you that's been you know, uh, cut most recently. Uh, yes, organic, USD organic is the symbol that we all, you know, fall under and it has a mass amount of paperwork and, <laughs> uh, and follow-ups and consistency that give us, put us all under that to make sure that we're all following the same rules. The differences are going to be, again, the quality and how long it lasts. Unfortunately, you grab uh-huh. something from California, it's probably already a week and a half old when you yeah. buy it at the store, it's going to last a couple days in your fridge. Again, look for right. your local, you know, you're not only helping out local, but you're going to get a longer lasting food out of it. Mm-hmm. So when I drive around the countryside and I see billboards that say farm to table, all right, what does this mean? Uh, farm to table is actually a big thing we were doing with uh, one of our colleges where we are their local supplier and they try to pick somebody or certain farms within a certain radius, 50 miles, 100 miles, just depending on what they're able to get. And they, and that allows them to, you know, one, they create okay. a secondary budget for it sometimes uh, for the college day. That's what they did. And then they're allowed to spend a certain amount locally. And, I see. You know, and so they give them a radius that they can work with. I see. So how so far have all of you seen our community benefiting from this partnership that we have between the hospital and your farm? Uh, Biggest benefit is just the healthy, uh, consistent food that, uh, uh, again, all these pantries are receiving. You know, it's getting, working there myself, I've seen what they don't get as fresh and being able to provide that and knowing that one, you throw organic on top of it, they're getting the best of the best, no pesticide. You know, it's one thing to feed them fresh veg, but to be able to bring it in at this level is just, I'm, I'm proud to say that, you know, we're hopefully making a difference within that community because you start with a healthier body, that's less trips to the hospital, that's less things that hopefully go wrong in your life, you know, mm-hmm. and starting, you know, healthy body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about you, Denise? Absolutely. I I totally agree with that. And what I hear from the patrons at the food pantries, because I do deliveries of that fruit and I kind of run by, I haven't 
been at the one we're talking about recently. But I see the people and how much they appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And from the directors of those pantries that people are eating their vegetables, they're enjoying them. Um, and hopefully we will begin seeing health benefits. I had one lady say she feels better. She said, I never mm-hmm. ate vegetables before. Now I have a little bit of energy mm-hmm. and I feel a little bit better. So I think I think we'll definitely be seeing some differences. And now we're doing it a little bit longer instead of just the summer. So I mm-hmm. think that's just going to compound the, what we can mm-hmm. o- what you can offer and the mm-hmm. differences we might see. Mm-hmm. Mary, what's your perspective? Um, well, I I do a lot of the drop offs to the mm-hmm. to the pantries, and I've gotten to know um, a lot of the ladies like Pam, Salvation Army, oh, yeah. and all those people there. And um, every week when we do it, they, you know, we do hear really good reviews. And for me, that feels really good because it's hard work. You know, we're weeding. We can't spray. We don't spray Roundup anywhere on our farm. So we work really, really hard. So to get that feedback, um, just it it's what you channel on those hard days mm-hmm. that when you're working in the hoop, you're like, no, this is going to help. Uh, we had a... I had a gal come through who I knew was going through cancer treatments at our one food pantry. And um, that's who I think about are these ladies who want to get that organic, um, no pesticides in it because they're going through cancer treatments. And they know a lot of that is from those free radicals out in the world. So you just think about those people when you're working really hard, whether it's in the heat of summer or the cold of winter, um, and you think, well, this is what you're doing it for. Um, mm-hmm. I, I really do think it's been well received by all. Yes. Yeah, that's nice. Let's talk about the elephant in the room, and that is the cost associated with organic versus traditional vegetables, right? So one knows that if you were to go to a chain store today, and I just pulled it up, organic baby spinach is four ninety eight, and for non organic, same same um, weight. 273. So the question is, why does it cost so much for organic? What do you do different in organic that makes it better or more nutrient rich? Can you explain that a little bit for the layperson that's listening to this podcast, let's say out in some other state that doesn't know or give attention to organic? Uh, the big difference is the lack of chemicals that we're utilizing, and it's the dangerous ones that we really are thinking about that are absorbed with you know up into the product itself. Um, you know, organic is always going to be a little bit more because it's far more hands-on. You know, non-organic, they spray, they walk away, they come back, they harvest, they wash, it's done. For us, we have to manage our pests and disease through different outlets from. And using sprays that are like chrysanthemum dust or things like that that are all natural and have to be OMRI approved, which is okay. a very, very serious approval process. Sure. Uh, so then our pesticides, uh, not even really pesticides, our products that we're able to use are much more scrutinized and a okay. much limited list. So when we have loss, I just have to walk away from a bed, tear it out, and start over. There's no spray or pesticide that I can utilize. Yeah that's going to make that bed come back. So I have a greater risk in what we're trying to accomplish. On top of that, we're more hands-on. So there's no <laughs> there's no spray spray that can take away a weed ever. Right. So it will always be hand-weeded. There's many processes that we try to utilize to make that hand-weeding easier by, you know, techniques throughout, you know, farming. But no matter what, it has to be hand-weeded okay. to have a perfect lettuce bed. And baby lettuce is, there's no grab a head out of the field and cut it. It's you know, all within, grown within it. So it has to be perfect. So let us, what does, Mary, what does a day look like on the farm 
you know, I hear weeding, I hear planting, I hear, you know, harvesting. What does that look like? Well, whoever wakes up first is the boss. Oh. That's how we start the day. I would always wake up last. It's our spouse. You work with your spouse. It's always fun and exciting. Yeah. So whoever wakes up first is boss. Um, so what time do you get up, Mary? Well, I get up at like 4.30. <laughs> in, the, in the summer, I'm up at 4.30. And in the, wow. the winter, it's like 5. So it's not wow. really... I like... I'm an early bird. Okay. Yeah. I'm All right. an early bird. You would always be the boss. So you're the yeah, boss. Yeah. That's always a joke. But um, a day is... In the summertime, you you go, you start working when you hear the birds go, and you're starting to, you know, if I'm in my tomato house and I have to constantly be clipping. We did 420 tomato plants last year in a greenhouse, and those need trellising. So there are weeks where all I'm doing is I wake up early in the morning and I listen to the birds and I'm clipping tomato row after wow. tomato row. Um, and it's great, but it's, it's fun. And then in the middle of the day when it's too hot, you know, I take a 2 o'clock ice cream break with my son on the porch. Oh, nice. And then we kind of start back up around, you know, 5 and finish up some things. And it's a nice life. It's it's hard work. I mean, it's, it's the, if if I could uh, be an organic rock farmer, we'd make a fortune. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many rocks in our field and in yeah. our hoops that we're just constantly kind of pulling oh, yeah. them out. So it's it's yeah. a lot of hard work, but it's... um. Great reward. It's very rewarding. Yeah. Yes. So how many acres? Well, so we have about six, 68 that are in tillable um, soybean, wow. corn, that kind of crop. Yeah. And then we have just under an acre in um, undercover production okay. of hoop okay. houses. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And when you say houses? So like the hoop houses, if you think not a greenhouse that has like the really hard plastic side, yeah. a hoop house is going to be the kind that, you know, has like a little hoop to it and it's a softer poly hmm. um, that allows you to, if you're growing the right stuff during the right time, you can grow all year. And so we do spinach, kale, and lettuce all winter long. So like, so two months ago, what were you growing? Two months ago, we had spinach and kale and lettuce all over. We have some beets. And then wow. pretty soon, I mean, we're going to have watermelon, squash, tomatoes coming out of our ears, wow. uh, carrots coming out of our ears. We do a lot of yeah. different things throughout the do, summer. Do you have contracts with any like grocery stores or businesses where you will bring your supply? So we have a wonderful um, relationship with Plum Markets in the Metro Detroit area. Oh, okay. And they're like top line. We have been doing weekly orders with them for the last four years, since Mother's Day of 2018 or something oh, wow. like that. And it's very fulfilling. We're about to do our 257th drop-off to them. And to be that consistent with them and have them be so... T I mean, these are guys that, um, when we have our conference call meetings with this, these are guys who help open Whole Foods all over the country, and they'll say to us things like, we don't know what you're doing. This is top of the line, wow. best product ever. And for us, we're just working really hard out there. I don't know what the heck these other farms are doing. When, <laughs> but it's really that travel. I mean, that's really a lot of it. I think there's some wisdom coming. I think there's a lot more Midwest farms that we're seeing show up, big ones, Wisconsin yeah. area, that are starting to kind of get that understanding like we could be California over here. Um, yeah. But meanwhile, we're Ezra and I are just trying to be the California of Michigan right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good, yeah, I love that. That's great. Ezra. What they were saying too was that, uh, you know, that we're kind of the pioneers of the organic industry in Michigan from their research and their farm studies. They have not found another farm that like us and what we're trying to accomplish on a, a large growth scale because we're up to 15 hoop houses now. Wow, and, that's amazing. You know, my, our whole goal was to provide, you know, one person 100 pounds, not yeah. 100 people, one, yeah. pound, one right. pound. But um, it's just allowed us to kind of move in a greater direction because, uh, 
you know, it's again, the organic uh, industry in Michigan is just kind of getting figured out that sure. we're able to play with these temperatures. Yeah. So you're asking what we grow. We grow the lettuce, spinach, kale, arugula all year long because mm. those are frost hardy. Like basil, tomatoes, peppers, none of that can handle a single frost unless you have a heated greenhouse. So nice. we focus on in-ground production on what Mother Nature is going to allow us to grow. So we're not putting extra effort and burning up, you know, unnecessary gas and electricity trying to heat something in the middle of the winter when Mother Nature says, no. just grow what I've told you to grow. Yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. Well, believe it or not, I only have one more question to ask uh, of each of you today. It's already been 40 minutes. Hard to believe time flies when we're engrossed in something that's so important as this to our community. Um, so this is a national podcast, and people from throughout this country listen to this podcast, many of them rural hospitals, uh, to learn about what's happening, how can we change and impact change in our communities. And this is an important one for us. And I really feel that we have a great opportunity to influence other people. Uh, and so I'm going to start with Denise, and I'm going to ask the question of you first. If someone's listening, how should they go about getting something like this started? A program like this? Yes. Consult your local farm market. That's okay. the first place I went. I went where I knew I liked my produce, and right. I talked to them. I mean, that's what I would right. do if you have a local farm market um, or people that come, if it's a big city and people are coming in yeah. from mm -hmm. area farms, talk to them. That's what I would say. And the involvement of your local hospital. So if I'm a local mm -hmm. uh, CEO listening to this podcast today, mm -hmm. uh, your advice is because we want healthy communities. Or we want healthy communities. We want to prevent disease, reduce hospital admissions. Healthy communities start with healthy food. And, and if hospitals and farms can work together like this, geez, we right. could change a lot in our country, could I think. change the world. That'd be yeah. amazing. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you, Denise. And Ezra and Mary, I'm going to ask you the same question. So, Ezra, um, you know, someone's listening. Maybe they are a farmer. Maybe they haven't made the transition to organic. And I understand that that can be costly and difficult. These pods that you're talking about seem like, you know, I'm sure they're expensive to build and to maintain the staff, to make sure you're weeding. And uh, it's a lot of work. I would assume that uh, you've you've got it down to a science right now after all these years. But we'll start with Ezra. What advice would you give rural communities about how they can start this process? Uh, starting into the fresh food process would be just start a basic garden at your house and understand a little bit of what food is. You know what I mean? You don't have to grow everything professionally. Uh, you can always pick up a transplant from your local farmer's market or, you know, a local store that can, you know, give you that base. But, yeah. you know, uh, trying to bring food locally, that's, you know, that's that's a big one is trying to understand that your farmer's markets and your farmer, farmers are right in your backyard. So, and knowing where your food come from comes from is number yeah. one. You know, I got to share with you before Mary answers the question, um, you know, growing up, as I shared with you, very poor, we, while we were f in, in a farming community, right, and we lived rural, we never ever farmed. We never built a garden. We never, you know, did those things. And I often reflect upon what if we would have? I mean, life would have been different, right? I mean, had someone taught us to plant, Instead of counting on food pantries or those types of things, it probably some health outcomes even in my own family would be a little different than they were uh, today. And so for me to hear the, what you just said, individually, I would encourage anyone because after I then got married, uh, my wife and her family from Litchfield for decades, and I'm talking 10 decades, 
for a hundred years. They've raised acres after acres of garden. And I had the pleasure of marrying into the family. And that means you also have to work. Uh, you have to take shifts, you have to plant, and you have to go harvest, you have to weed. But the reward is so phenomenal and it's so amazing. I didn't know so many dang tomatoes could be picked in a guy's life, but we would just get five gallon buckets of tomatoes and pick and pick and pick. But the opportunity though is you're not hungry, you know, and someone says, well, food insecurity, it's hunger. Okay. We, we politicize it all we want. It's hunger. I know what the pains of hunger are. And the opportunity though, that just with a few plants that you can change your eating habits, you can change your health, you can wellness and nutrition. It's just, it's amazing. So Mary, you've been in this now for several years, came from the big city area of Detroit. Um, what advice would you give our listeners today about how they can go about being the new Mary in their community? Oh my goodness, to be the new Mary That's right. in their community. Um, yeah. Well, so you have to get involved. So in terms of what I have done with this business and with our family and and in the in the community is getting involved find some good service work mm-hmm. you don't have to be a politician to make a good change in your community right. you can just be of service um for any farmers who are out there listening i would say go and try and talk to your local hospitals if you have a hospital that's a nonprofit hospital they're going to want to find you know nice little outlets to um, help their community. So yeah. if you have a nonprofit hospital in your community and you're a farmer, what a great way to um, have a new account yeah. of sorts yeah. and bring this idea to them. Say, I heard this and I think it could work for mm-hmm. this hospital and our local food pantries. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I don't know if I think what's great about working with farmers is they're probably the most optimistic people because they have to be. There's so much risk involved mm-hmm. in farming. And you could grow all these beds all day. And if you don't have a place for it, where's your risk? Working with the hospital, doing this food pantry cost share makes our risk go down significantly because we know if we grow it, we have a definite place for it. We can do it at a great cost share with Mm -hmm. you. It's not all on the hospital to do this. Mm -hmm. We're taking on some, but it's not hurting us. It Mm -hmm. helps us Mm -hmm. working with you guys. So if you're a farmer out there listening, contact your local hospital, find the nutrition person, say, I heard about this podcast and what they're doing in Michigan. And we might be able to do that um, where we are. That's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. Ezra, you have something? So yes, you were saying as you grow up, there was a lack there of, you know, of garden food and everything like that. And I grew up in kind of a situation where there was always a garden available, Hmm. but you can go out and find it. If you're hungry, grandma always said, go out and find it. Yeah, There's true. always food. And that's then she true. would show me what's natural from the land to go out and find that. So, Amazing. you know, having, you know, there's there's so much food. I mean, she used to make dandelion salads for us. Oh, I so, remember those. You Trust know what me. I mean? Just, I remember those. Like, I'm I like, remember did you those. get this from the lawn, grandma? Or? Yeah. yeah. No, I remember that. <laughs> you I remember. can pick it and it's not going to kill <laughs> you. You can, you can find it. a way to eat it. That's exactly Rhubarb what it is. Rhubarb on the so, fence line right. and uh, berries. And, you know, I think there's an adage, right? You can give a man a fish or you can teach him to fish. And I think the opportunity here is when you plant gardens, you're teaching, you know, a man how to fish. You're teaching them how to grow and sustain, you know, using the earth. And I think that is just so critically important, especially as we look at poverty rates so high, uh, you know, around this country and uh, the number of, of juveniles with diabetes and in our community is is staggering. And so having access to nutritional foods, not sweetened cereals, Pop-Tarts is so, so critical. So learning how to grow again for children, 
You know what I mean? This is a huge thing. All just growing in general for the, for the public has, has fallen apart. You know, everybody used to have a garden. Everybody used to can everything. Everybody mm-hmm. used to have all the fresh options they needed. And all of a sudden, it wasn't cool to farm all of a sudden. And yeah. that was too much work to make sure you had access to fresh food. Yeah. And now children, you know, barely know what a carrot is. You know what I mean? Or yeah. they couldn't even tell me what a piece of celery is. And Correct. there's just so many levels to that that can change within our community. And not only, you know, talking to your, you know, local communities about what's available, but you know, possibly what's available for, for children in this community because that's, right. that's where it all starts. So we can right. start with healthy children, you know, having community gardens, things like that should be a no-brainer for every community. Break the cycle, teach them at an early age, let them become fishermen. That's, that's amazing. Well, Denise, Ezra, Mary, we thank you for joining us today on Rural Health Rising. It's been great to have you here with us. And before we close, we like to do a fun segment with each of our guests. And Denise has already been on the podcast, so we're not going to ask her today. So you get a free pass today, Denise. Um, But I want to ask you, uh, Mary and Ezra, um, we want to know, our listeners want to know, what is the most unique rural experience? Because remember, folks are listening to this who have no experience in rural America. They don't know what that's about. We've heard all kinds of stories chickens chasing politicians to you name it, birthing centers and gift shops, you name it. We have to improvise where we can. But I want to know, you know, I'm going to start with you, Ezra, because I think you have a pretty good story. Um, I want to know what is your most unique rural experience or that's unique to rural life? Mine would be just my connection to the farm. I was born on the living room floor, old style with uh, my mom had a midwife and, you know, having just that connection to the farm and coming back to where it all started. That's a huge thing for me. Wow. That's amazing. I would say that's a pretty unique I don't think you could get too much. I mean, Mary's going to have a big task ahead of her because she's going to have to go even more rural. And I don't know how she's going to accomplish that. Yeah, how are you going to beat that? No Um, pressure. Unless she like (laughs) wrestled, you know, some farm animals growing up or something. Um, But that's that's pretty remarkable. uh, The fact that you were born there on the living room floor and all these years later returned back home, right? To a place that you love. Thank you, mom. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You got to thank our moms, don't we? Mary. For you, uh, I mean, I, it could be anywhere from I ran over the well cap thinking I was about to crush the well two weeks after moving here to skunks on Easter Sunday, nothing being open, dealing with oh. that kind of stuff. But I would honestly, JJ, would say that Christmas light up parade. <laughs> I would agree. The Hillsdale Business Association yes. light up parade. I got very fortunate to have yeah. that project fall into my lap. The you did week a phenomenal job. I've been doing it for about nine years, nine years now. now. And um, to to watch that grow yeah, and yeah. to watch that become a tradition Isn't in our cool? town, and yes, it is cool. Tractors with lights. It's my it's, fire trucks yes. with Santa Claus. It's it's remarkable. It is so yeah. Norman Rockwell yeah. small town mm-hmm. USA. Yeah. And you didn't have that in Detroit, did you? Well, no. And I'm from Gross Point. We had parades and stuff, and they might very well be. Yeah, but doing... you guys threw money out. You guys yeah. didn't even throw. You know, I, <laughs> I mean, didn't. that's that's how <laughs> that was. I, I mean, yeah, come on, come on. I I was one of the you poor kids from kids Troy. That, yeah, and gross, right. yeah. No, so like I don't know what they do there now, but I will <laughs> say that um just getting involved, the fact that you can get involved in a small town and get to meet your CEO of the of the hospital 
that's the most rural thing. Well, what I was most excited about was meeting you guys because Ken told me you got to meet Mary and Ezra. I'm like, I don't even, I've been here all my life. Who's Mary? Who's Ezra? And did you not put it together when we were doing that? When you were getting your interview at the parade, did you? You saw like the tractor and then Ezzy, and you're like, wait a minute. It took a while. Yeah, something clicked, didn't it? Because I was watching it on the TV. I'm like, Oh, I saw yeah. it when you caught it too. Oh, yes. like, oh this is where Isn't that, that is. Fun? Yeah. But that Christmas parade is my favorite. It is. It's my favorite thing, and I love the hospital's partnership, yeah. and I expect it for the next. You'll year. get it. <laughs> I There's think we should have JJ. Always a twist. Do emceeing with me. Next Absolutely, year. let's do oh, it. Yeah, yeah that I'll could be a up. lot of fun. We would get in trouble because you talk and I talk. Now, well, right? We'd all agree that we both like to talk, right? So, Rachel, you can't come. Because you talk more than than Mary and I, probably. So yeah. it's probably just gonna, combined. Maybe. It's just going to be us. <laughs> it's really just you're doing a play by play of a parade. Well, we can and do it's that. It's just so much fun. Right. So we'll, we got it. Next, you and me. Yeah. First like Saturday. Of I'll try December. not to crash. Yeah. First Saturday of December. <laughs> yes. If you're in Michigan, yes. and specifically Hillsdale yes. County, or if you're listening across the country and you want to fly in, we have an airport here at Hillsdale, and uh, we'd love to see you for the light up parade because it are those type of events mm-hmm. that make it small town America, isn't it? So once again, thanks for joining us today, Mary and Ezra. It's been great to have you. Thanks for the ministry and the work that you do for our community and our patients here in Hillsdale County. Thank you. One more thing. I had my second child at Hillsdale Hospital, so I would never have it on the floor in the country. <laughs> and I had a wonderful experience having my Thank second you for child that plug. here, too. Thank, thank you, you for that plug. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. I didn't even pay her. Isn't that great? <laughs> well, thank you for your participation today. It's thank been you. great having you here. Next time on Rural Health Rising, we'll have another great conversation with another great guest, so be sure to tune in. And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising. And you can now find us on Twitter. I'm at Hillsdale CEO JJ. Rachel is at Rural Health Rach. And you can also follow the podcast at Rural Health Pod. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong. Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, and a proud member of the Health Podcast Network, hosted by J.J. Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. Special thanks to today's guest, Denise Lovinger, registered dietitian, and Ezra and Mary Bertakis, owners of Chef's Way Farm. For more episodes, interviews, and more information, visit ruralhealthrising.com.